And so now, good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts in this room be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, friends in Christ, grace to you this morning and peace, deep peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things Jesus did when he lived among us in the flesh was to heal all kinds of people of various diseases and afflictions. We read of people with leprosy, epilepsy, paralysis, bleeding, crippled limbs, hearing impairments, and of how after coming in contact with Jesus and being touched by him, they found themselves healed by him. But one condition is mentioned more often in the Gospels than any other. Jesus healed one of these more than any other, the affliction of blindness. In the four Gospels, Jesus heals no fewer than seven people of blind eyes. And so I wonder this morning, is it a coincidence that the early church records story after story about blind eyes being touched and opened? Or were our ancestors in the faith pointing to a, a bigger truth, a broader truth, that Jesus, in fact, came to open our eyes and to teach us to see, to see God, to see ourselves, to see each other? Heaven knows we need help with this. When we look at all the people planted in the garden of this world, we rarely see past the topsoil, let alone down to the roots which is to say most of us don't see people as Jesus saw them. And it's always been that way. It's just that now, especially in the age of social media and polarized politics, we have so many more opportunities to see people not as individuals and beloved children of God, but as categories, as types. Those immigrants, those Republicans, those Democrats— those brown people, black people, those LGBTQ people, those women, those straight white men. No one is immune from being categorized. Um, at our worst, we harbor the conscious or unconscious uh, assumption that some uh, identified category or group actually poses a threat to us or to our group. We've even created a verb to describe this way of seeing and regarding people. Today we talk in, in terms of othering people. And the attributes of, of who gets defined as other uh, differ from place to place, but are often based on race, religion, nationality, uh, na sexual orientation, gender identity. And of course, it's not the attributes themselves, but the way they get manipulated that creates so much pain in this world. Jesus came, among other things, to heal our eyes. He came to show us how to look at people with God's eyes. And the call of Christ, the gift of Christ, really, is the habit of seeing people deeply and well, because that, in fact, is the secret of loving people well learning to see them more deeply, and it, and it has everything to do with respecting them. The word respect is interesting to me, uh, first and obviously. I can never hear that word without thinking of Aretha. 
R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I considered asking Lon if he could dig up a choral arrangement uh, of that song. Then I got the mental image of Lon bravely soldiering through the socket to me refrain on the organ pedals with his feet and decided to let that one go. Respect. Uh, comes from two Latin parts, spectare, to look, respectare, to look again. To respect someone is to take the time to take another look. To take the time to see them deeper than, than you did maybe the first time. And so this brings us to our gospel text today, which Joel read just now and which is so long it almost requires an intermission. Thank you for that. Um, it's a pretty famous story in the New Testament. I imagine many, uh, if not most of you, have heard it before. The main character is a woman. You may know her as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. What you may not know about her is that Jesus' conversation with her in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John is the longest of any of Jesus' recorded conversations in all the Gospels. He talks longer with this woman than he talks to any of his disciples. He talks longer than he talks to any of his accusers, longer than he talks to any of his own family, in fact. She is the first person he reveals himself to in the Gospel of John as the Messiah. And John tells us she is the first evangelist. We sometimes think of the women at the tomb, and rightly so, who run and tell others as the the first ones to proclaim the resurrection, and they are, but this woman at the well is the first evangelist. And her testimony brings lots and lots of people to faith. That Jesus chose to honor her is, is all the more extraordinary given who she is. The woman sitting beside the well at Sikar that day is utterly, wholly other. And I want you to notice how Jesus begins the conversation. Because, see, in order to see somebody well, you can't put yourself above them. You know, you can't come at the conversation all confident about what you know and what they don't know. And about what they need and you clearly don't need. You know, you, you can't do that. So Jesus begins by speaking not of her need, but of a need that he happens to have. And he extends to her the power to help him with a need. He begins with humility. Will you give me something to drink? His starting point in this conversation is his relatedness to her and his mutual need. And she does not see this coming. You're talking to me, she says. People like you don't talk to people like me. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. We don't talk. I said a a minute ago that this woman at the well is an other. In fact, she's a triple other. By the protocol of that day, there are three barriers present that really ought to have prevented these two from any kind of conversation. Three barriers. Race, religion, and gender. 2,000 years later, do these barriers sound at all familiar to anybody in the room? What, what does Jesus do with barriers like that? Well, in this conversation, he simply pushes them aside. Race, religion, gender, gone. I mean, for him, it's just one human being in front of another. 
Of course, she's still very much aware of the barriers. In fact, they're really all she can see. But Jesus has the eyes of God and knows how to look down to the heart beneath the differences. And he says to her, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink and I would give you living fresh water. Jesus has beautiful news to share and a great gift to share. But see, he doesn't lecture. He doesn't condescend. What he does is open a conversation. And, and she's interested and, and she keeps talking with him. And, 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 and not noticing that as they talk together, he is slowly lowering a bucket deeper and deeper into the well of her life. Whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again, he said. It's like a spring of water inside, welling up into everlasting life. And while it's really not at all clear to us, really ever, that, that she has a clue to what he really means by that, she's leaning forward at least now. Because up to now, apparently her life has been pretty dry. So she's interested. Sir, give me some of this water so I don't have to be thirsty anymore. And this is the, this is the point in the story when uh, Jesus tells her to, to go back and, and fetch her husband, um, which I'm not going to lie, just kind of feels like an abrupt shift to me. Um, it's jolting even. I mean, at least it is to me. But when he says this to her, it it gives us an opportunity to see yet another thing. And this is something I dearly love about this woman. See, this is a woman who in that day has zero uh, public credibility. She really has no identity apart from the men in her life. And so in that moment when the rabbi says, "Go go fetch your husband, she could have politely tried to steer the conversation back to religion. You know, if she'd been from, you know, southern Samaria, she might have done that as a southern woman. Just be polite, you know, steer it in a different direction. She could have gotten defensive. Um, She could have lied to him. Instead, this woman at the well with no social credibility at all squares her shoulders, looks the rabbi in the eye, and you know what she does? She tells the truth about herself. I don't have a husband, she says. I think it's, it's miraculous, actually, how when we tell the truth about ourselves with each other, when we practice transparency with each other in Christian community, God is in that. God uses our stuff, the good stuff and the bad stuff, to work good things in other people's lives, even healing in other people's lives. I don't have a husband, she said. I know, said Jesus. You've had five, and the man you're with now you're not married to— And this is the part of the story where we almost always start to make assumptions about her morals. Almost every commentary you read, at least up until about 40 years ago or so, um, in some way will allude to her sin, her looseness, her guilt. But what we need to remember is that in that time and in that culture, she is the one most likely to have been widowed or abandoned by the men in her life. 
And so in this moment, she's probably bracing herself for the words she knows she's about to hear, adulterous, harlot, sinner, etc. Not a word about that from Jesus. Not so much as a syllable about her morals, because see, that also is outward stuff. And he's not looking at that. He's looking so much deeper. So now that the masks are really coming down, what does she want to talk about? She wants to talk about faith. And please notice Jesus hasn't said a word about God or repentance or getting your act together. None of that. Instead, he travels with her down to the place where she's hurting. So she wants to talk about something deeper only, like most people, she doesn't know how to go about that. And so her instinct tells her to reach for something that has to do with God. But all she knows to do is to talk about religion, which is not the same thing. Well, my people say this temple, she said, and your people say that temple. Let's talk about the difference between Jews and Samaritans. That's not, that's not where he's going. Jesus sees deeper all the way down. To, to her thirst inside for spirit and truth and love. And so by now, it's starting to dawn on her who he might be. She's getting an inkling. And she speaks of Messiah. And he says, here I am. It's the first time he says that to another living soul. And even though right at that moment, Jesus' disciples show up like the Stooges with their usual lack of understanding and are all worked up that Jesus is talking to a woman, she refuses to let them dampen her joy. She runs to her neighbors hollering, come and see, come and see. The Messiah is the one in whose presence you really know who you are. The good, the bad of it, the hard and the hopeful stuff as well. This is the Christ who crosses all boundaries, breaks all rules, and drops all pretenses for love's sake. And so in light of such love, brothers and sisters, may we find our way of saying to friends and colleagues and neighbors and strangers, come and see, come and see. And so, Lord Christ, help us to see one another deeply as you see us. In your name we pray. Amen. I find it so interesting and even ironic that this story is the one that lands in our laps today, even as people everywhere are entering a time of voluntary separation from each other. Because at the heart of this story is what it means to reach for one another across many kinds of barriers. Barriers we construct, like the ones I mentioned earlier. As well as the kinds of barriers that come to us, like the barriers we're all facing because of COVID-19. There's a lot we don't know sitting here today. How long the pandemic will last. When we will gather in this room again next what the days ahead are going to be like. And there may be anxiety in not knowing. Um, there's been a little bit in me, in fact. 
And so, so in the in the silence now, and in the stillness, which is our beloved custom here, I invite you to let Holy Spirit speak peace to you this morning, and to speak courage and comfort to you this morning, and to let Spirit call you to bring comfort and courage to others in their fear. And so, let's now sit in the silence and let the Spirit speak. <laughs> 